Father, may you be exalted this morning. Be lifted up. May the preaching of your word of God, may the truth go out, and may you be exalted. Speak through me to bring yourself glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think you're going to enjoy this sermon. It'll be highly informative. Um, And we're going to look at a genealogy. So I think, am I going to be awake for this or not? We'll start off talking about uh, my favorite subject. Me. (laughs) Who are the three most intelligent people in the world? Me, myself, and I. But when I was in college, every year I would have a new roommate, okay? And um, inevitably, the question was asked, you know, where are you from? Well, since I had moved so much growing up, as my father was not in the military, he was simply climbing the corporate ladder, as I call it. I, it was never a simple answer for me. I was, of course, born in Ohio, but I lived in various cities in Ohio. So I thought, you know what? Let me put this map up here, because we're going to look at a lot of maps this morning, of this is where I've lived. Okay? So I was born here. This is Lancaster, Ohio, okay, just south of, of Columbus. And I had moved two or three times prior to... Lancaster, but in two or three times in Lancaster before I was like five years old or so on, we moved all the way over here to Ridgefield, Connecticut. Okay? And um, was there two years, then moved from here to Clarkston, Michigan. Was there two years, then moved to Rochester, Michigan. It's basically the same dot, but, but there. Was there for two years, then moved all the way down to Mandeville, Louisiana. No. <laughs> Mandeville, Louisiana. I actually liked it there, but it was, you know, I was thinner and younger, so I could tolerate the, the humidity, heat and humidity. Um, but it, just, it was a completely different culture, okay? Great food, though. Then from there, over to uh, Kingwood, Texas, is roughly where Kingwood, Texas is. which is the Houston area, okay? And um, again, this was such a different culture even from here to here. You enter Texas, it is true. It is another country. It's a country unto itself. A totally different culture and so on. Um, I remember driving. We went up this way, uh, and it's like eight hours just to get out of Texas. The four years there, then up to here, which is Chardon, Ohio, right before my senior year in high school. Um, and, and lived there, and then went to college at Ohio University, which is basically right about here, just south of Lancaster. Um, and then moved back up to college and lived for here in Hudson, Ohio, briefly for a small time, about a year, and then moved to Bowling Green, Ohio, which is right here. And this is where I keep telling people by the name, uh, with the last name Cruson, who won't listen to me, okay, you can go... And right here, I believe this is Kentucky, right? Yes. Okay. Right here is what, Shannon? The Ark is right here. Okay. It's right near Cincinnati, which is right here. Then you go, like, what? Is it even an hour or less than an hour from. 
less than an hour from Cincinnati to Cincinnati right here is at a huge theme park called King's Island, okay, where they serve Grater's ice cream. And I, if you, it's the best ice cream in the world. It's not my opinion. This is the opinion of Oprah. And therefore, she's an authority on this, okay? But it's her favorite ice cream, and it is the best ice cream I've tasted, even better than some of the stuff I got in Texas. You can get it at QFC here in Washington State, because it's a division of Kroger. Raspberry chocolate chip. Graters, G-R-A-E-T-E-R-S. Now, it is expensive. A little pint, it's on sale now, a little pint for $8.50. Okay? It's so good, I took my motorcycle on Friday and got one for everyone, and one pint for each member of our family. Because it's getting warm, and we, you know, that's the only time I like ice cream, okay? But then you can go from there, Shannon and Frank, and go up to here, and there is... Uh, Cedar Point, and this is the lakes, by the way. All this right here, oops. This is the lakes, okay? I remember Don saying that this Puget Sound, how, how big it was, and he's pointing out to Carol, these make this look so small. They're huge. They go all around here, so they're the Great Lakes. Then from here, you can go right around this area. You can get to the world's largest Christmas store, Bronner's. Okay, do you show your daughter that and everything? It's, it's like the Outlet Mall, but it's all Christmas. Okay, and you can do all that, and it's not near as expensive as everything is over here. Okay, so I keep pushing the croissants to take their family and do that. So it's, it'd be worth it. Anyways, from here, we went, of course, to, um, from Bowling Green, went back here to uh, where I served as an associate pastor at a church in Paines or, or Kirtland, Ohio. We lived in Paynesville, which is basically where Chardon is. And then from here to uh, Leo, Indiana, and now, of course, now we're all the way out here to Auburn, Washington. That is the map of where I've lived. I actually drew lines, tried to draw, draw lines, and it's just this big mess. But yeah, I have lived in the East Coast, in the West Coast, and, you know, North to an extent, and of course, down South. That is my journey so far, okay? Now, so I've lived in Connecticut, Michigan, Louisiana, Texas, Indiana, and Washington. Uh, I've lived in seven states, ranging from the Midwest to the East Coast, as you can see, south and now the West Coast. By my count, I have moved 17 times in my lifetime. So far. Can anybody beat that? How many times have you moved? Okay. Over like 30 times you've moved, you think? At least. At least 30 times. Oh okay. I've been in the state is the longest I've ever been in a state in my life. And how long is that? Oh, God. Okay. Very good. Now, that's why I say to my friends, it's never a simple answer where I'm from, because you can see I'm all over the map, right? Um... Occasionally, I would meet someone who has lived in the same place their entire life. Anybody here that's lived in the same place their entire life for the most part? Same state. Anyone same town, Auburn, roughly that area? 
Okay. Okay. Jeez. Well, I was always kind of envious of these people who lived in this, mainly this, basically the same place their entire life. They've grown up with the same neighbors and friends uh, and gone to the same kindergarten, elementary, middle, and high school. Uh, they've witnessed how their friends have turned out. Some turned out well and some not so well. I, I don't know what that's. I, I get people's faces and names mixed up. Was that high school? Was that college? Was that, you know, was it this state or was it that state? Um, I've attended in my lifetime two kindergartens, two elementary schools, three middle schools, and two high schools. And over the years, I have gained an appreciation for this verse right here, especially the older I get. You'll see how relevant this is to today, that God made from one man, obviously Adam, every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And for me, it's lived on everywhere, it seems like, in the United States. Okay? But look at this. He determined, having determined my, your, their appointed times. In other words, I am here at this time by whose plan? We all are here at this point in time. You're all called to stay awake at this point in time. Okay? And the boundaries of their habitation. So those of you that aren't going to leave, like Matthew, maybe they'll say to Washington, that's determined by the Lord. Okay? And the older I get, the more I realize as I go back to this and so on, the person that I am here was not the same person that I was, obviously, here when it started. All of that was used at this point in time to get me here, to give me great endurance and patience to live with my mother-in-law nearby. <laughs> Exceedingly great endurance and patience. And I didn't get her Grater's ice cream, but I got everyone else in my family Grater's ice cream. So if you come back next week and say you went and got Grater's ice cream, it shows me that you're part of the elect. We will pray over you and celebrate you. But I'm seriously, go get it. It is, it is some of the best ice cream you can have. Now, that being said, again, looking back, I can see God's purpose in every move as he prepared my next adventure. And the same thing for you. And as I said again, this morning, we're going to look at maps and names and places and trace our lineage all of us, as we take a deeper look into the genealogy of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And just so you know, I will earn my paycheck this week, because I spent extra time listening to how a real person pronounces the names I'm going to read in this chapter. <laughs> I mean, I looked at and listened to it twice this morning, because these names, yeah, I like, I used to think Gertrude was a bad name and hard name. My grandmother's name was like, you know, those older names and so on, or Avenel or something like that. So yeah, these names are like, yeah. Um, just so you know, uh, Genesis 10 is the only written record, an accurate source of this period of time in history. 
the listings of the sons of Japheth, and the sons of Ham, and, the, and then the sons of Seth, by the way, are designed to move toward the people of God, because the oldest is Shem, and Shem typically would be listed first. He's listed last, okay? Because from Shem comes who? Abraham. From Abraham comes Israel, Israel comes Jesus, and us. I also want to say up front, I'm especially grateful for the work done by uh, John MacArthur, uh, Jim Boyce, uh, Henry Morris, and others in, in compiling this ancient history. So we're going to dive right in, go to Genesis chapter 10 in your Bibles, okay? And we're going to start off with, did I put this up here? No, I did not. Japheth. But just to refresh your memory, if you're there in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 10, go back one chapter to Genesis chapter 9, verse 27. says, may God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. This is a prophetic word. This wasn't just off the cuff, you know, Noah speaking when he spoke. No, this was a prophetic word from the Lord. God said he would enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. So let's take a closer look. Uh, at chapter 10. It's the beginning of the fulfillment of this prophetic promise, starting in verse 2, chapter 10. This is where I'm going to earn my money here. The sons of Japheth were Gomer, and I have to admit, every time I think of Gomer, I think of Gomer Pyle. Okay, I, don't, I, I, I grew up watching them because there wasn't a lot on TV, and it was always a clean show and so on. Um, I, but anyways, before there was... After Gomer, there was Gomer Pyle for me. So anyways, the sons of Japheth were Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javan and Tubal and Meshech and Tiras. That's how you say it, Tiras, according to the guy on my phone that reads the Bible. The sons of Gomer were Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarma. The sons of Javan were Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim, or Dodanim. I probably butchered that one. From these, the coastlands of the nations were separated into their lands, everyone according to his language, according to their families, into their nations. Now, we talked about maps. Away we go. So you get a real brief introduction here by collar, which you can't see because we have a cheap projection system up here, so it's kind of, this is a dark green. I can show you right here. So, you see that dark green in this? Yeah. Why we don't have better quality, I don't know. But anyways, this is green. It represents Ham. This is in his descendants. And there's a, this is Shem, and this is supposed to be yellow, which is blood up here. Then this is Japheth, okay? This is, as we'll see, the Black Sea. This is the Caspian Sea, the Persian Gulf. Can you guys see? I can't make it any larger, unfortunately. This is the Red Sea. Um, and of course, highlighted here, of course, is, where's, what's this called? Israel. And these are all the, it's highlighted here because these are all of the descendants of Canaan, which is very important, obviously, okay? You got that so far? All right. So, information from historians such as Herodotus and others indicate that that Gomer Pyle settled north of the Black Sea 
in an area called Samaria or Crimea. Okay? Now, do I have this other map here to show you? No. Yes, here it is. That's what I meant to tell you. This, north of the Black Sea, is the Crimean Peninsula. And of course, what's up here? Ukraine, okay? So I'm going to go back. So up here, the descendants of Japheth, okay, they settled up here in the area called, it was called, so ancient world was C-I-M-M-E-R-I-A, or Crimea. Now, Crimea and the Crimean Peninsula, it was always important because last two years, what did Russia do? Invaded Ukraine, and what did they seek to take almost first of all? The Crimean port cities and, and the Crimean Peninsula, okay? Later, the, extent, the descendants of Japheth um, settled north of the Black Sea and expanded into Europe, settling into France, called Gauls, and Spain, called Galicia, and Britain, called the Celts, okay? Even in Wales, called, oh boy, C-Y-M-R-U, Simru. And there may be some connection to Germany as well. But all of that is in Europe to the north and then migrating to the west. So let's look at this again. Here is that peninsula. Okay. So basically we're going to take this and go north. Okay, here's that peninsula and so on. Over here is Russia. Of course, if you keep going down over here, what are you going to get to? China and all that. Okay. Here's Moldova. And you see all this. All right. Just to give you a visual. Okay. And they migrated um, north and then migrated to the west. Magog, and these are all the descendants of, of Japheth. Magog is mentioned. We read that name, but it's hard to identify. But almost all interpreters of history would say his descendants, Magog, went to the north and to the east. This is a people in the north. Some associate them with, catch this, the Mongols, okay, and the Huns, who went east as well. Uh, the historian Josephus identifies Magog as a place where the people of Gog lived around the, the Caspian Sea. Now, of course, where's the Caspian Sea? Right here, Okay. That's the region of southern Russia or Ukraine. Then there are the sons of, sons of name Tubal and Meshech of the north, and they're easy to trace. Uh, we have found Assyrian monuments around these Assyrian ruins identifying a people called Mushki or Mushku, which is a lot like Meshech, and other people called Tubali, obviously the sons of Tubal. These later show up on the Moscow River in the city of Moscow in the Tubal River, in the city of Tobolsk. And several other cities in the Russian area have that derivative name. So along with Magao, they are found in Ezekiel 38. You see the word Magog and Gog. With the name Rosh, you'll find in Ezekiel 38. And of course, that name comes Russia. So now in verse 3, we meet three of the sons of, of Gomer. Now, by the way, when you see those names we just mentioned, now all these are sons of Japheth. They have their complete lines listed, but two of them do. They're Ashkenaz and Riphath and Togarmah. 
Ashkenaz went north to settle. His name is preserved in a place called Lake Ashkenaz. I think I might have this lake. I think it is right here. Okay? See Togomar, all these names, Gomer, Mega, all that. All right? The people of that area are called in the ancient writings of Homer as Askeny. Uh, they later moved to Germany so that Jews identified their people as, and you may have heard this, Ashkenazi Jews. Okay, here's another map that may give you an idea here. Now, Riphath is a very hard place to trace. I put this map up here, by the way, because you can see the names, and it's what we would say, Ashkenaz, Togarmah, you can see all this and so on, and it's a little easier to read and so on. But you can see the descendants of, of Japheth. Now, Javan, right here, of course, where did he settle? Greece, the Greeks. See that? That's where the Greeks came from. Okay, Mizram, which is Egypt, and then Africa is all the way down here. So we see all of that. There's the Tigris River, the Euphrates River. What we're seeing is everything started for us, for all of humanity, obviously, in the Middle East. That's where we all come from. Okay? Okay. I said that up here you can see, um, where was it? I'll go back one. Repheth, he is very hard to uh, track, to trace. Josephus, the historian, says he was the father of the Paphlagonians, and we don't know exactly how they got mixed into the races of that, but Togarma we know about. They are the direct ancestors of the Armenians. Okay? You may have heard the, the name, the House of Targum. You may have heard that before. It's a familiar identification of Armenians' descent in terms like Turkey or Turkestan. And Targum came from Togarma. Now, while it's hard to be exact about these migrating people, but all agree they went north and west. And now I move, I'm just going to go right here now. So you get an idea of here. From here, they're going up. Of course, what's this? The Black Sea. And they're going up over into here. Okay? Eventually down here. And they go, obviously, up and over this way. All right? Now I'm going to move from the west to the east. The third son mentioned is verse 2 is Madai. That's this is the root of the word Medes. The ancient Medes mean the Medo-Persian Empire. Remember that. Then there's Javan. I pointed him out. The fourth son of Japheth. He's the father of various Greek peoples. In fact, Jim Boyce wrote to the ancient people. I didn't know this. To the ancient people of the East, the Greeks were known by only one name: Javan or Ionian. So Tarsus is listed as a son of Javan. Tarsus is also a city. Does that sound familiar to you? Why? What's Tarsus? Tarsus. Jonah. Jonah, remember that? Jonah tried to escape there when running away from God. Today would, would identify, many would identify uh, Tarsus with Tartessos in Spain. Then he had sons from which the Kittim and the Dodanim came. Most associate Kittim with Cyprus and Dodanim with Rhodes. The bottom line is that for Japheth, they are all around that area. In the west, 
in Europe, and some of them drifted to the east. And that's as far as we can go. But verse 5 sums up the line of Japheth and fulfills the prophecy that Japheth would be what? Enlarged. Enlarged. Now, how about us? Let's bring this home. Who in here comes from European stock? I do. Anybody? Raise your hands. Then you are descendant of Japheth. Then to Japheth to Noah. And then all the way down, eventually to Adam. If you're from there, your forefathers are in Europe, obviously. Um, even those who came from Russia, Persia, and India, this is where they, they, they went there. So again, they're going from here, up this way, and over, okay? Obviously here, and over here. But it doesn't stop there. It goes even further. So watch this, okay? Um, it is believed that Japheth's people migrated across Russia, the sons of Japheth, and they very possibly went all the way over to here, okay? Here, guess what? All the way down to here. Did God enlarge Japheth? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, where else did we come from? Where else did these people come from? Well, it was Japheth. They had to all come from Noah's family. And guess what? His descendants became the Native Americans. So thus, who are Europeans may be close relatives to the Native Americans. So we can go gamble with them up there, Muckleshoot, right? <laughs> the point is that the descendants of Japheth, they became the great colonizers of the world. Thus God said he would enlarge Japheth, and that's exactly what he did. Most of the world's population, based on what we know, are Japhethites. And God said they would be enlarged. And the students of history will tell you that they occupy most of the world's land. Europe, Eastern Europe, Western Europe, India, Russia, and all the way down to the Americas. And one other note about Japheth, this is fascinating, it was in the 19th century that it became clear that the languages of the East and the West, now, East, okay, obviously is here, West, the language of everybody, okay? When I say east and west, that's what I mean. Um, we're related, requiring a common language ancestor. This was in the 19th century. And one of the earliest languages that is at the base of both eastern and western languages, a language that has been extinct for a long time. Anyone know what it is? Sanskrit. Sanskrit. This relationship of East and West to a common language was unsuspected until some of the technical work of the 19th century, and yet here it is in Genesis. The Greeks traced their heritage back to a man by the name of Jephthos, a form of Japheth. And you can read about him in the writings of Aristophanes. Now, people in the East, in India and Persia, 
they trace themselves back to a flood account with a man named Japheti as their father. So Japheti, obviously a form of Japheth. And so go west, you find Japheth. Go east, you find Japheth. They found their way around the world, but it came at a price. They lost their souls. Because if you follow these lines, you discover of, of all these people and tribes and nations, most of them are adulterous. Because Japheth was what? A believer. He was righteous, right? What do you have everywhere? Even here, but everywhere. False religions, right? Pagan religions, idolatrous religions. They abandoned the true and living God, and they embraced paganism. This genealogy of the three sons of Noah, by the way, it represents you get that there? Okay. It represents um, the hopelessness of humanity. I want you to think about this for a moment, okay? The warning of the flood, which drowned the entire world, didn't seem to have any effect on anybody. Noah lived for 350 years after the flood. They would have had firsthand testimony that he would have given to his children and his grandchildren about the tremendous flood, yet these people still turned from God. And that's Japheth. Now, the rest of this will go pretty quickly here. Let's look at this. I'm going to earn my paycheck again. Let's talk about Ham. An easy name to say, finally. All right. The sons of Ham were Cush and Mizram and Put and Canaan. The sons of Cush were Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, Sabteca, and the sons of Rama were Sheba and Dedan. Now, Cush became the father of Nimrod. He became a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went forth into Assyria and built Nineveh and Rehoboth-ur and Kela and Rezin between Nineveh and Kela that is, the great city. Mizram became the father of Ludum and Anamum and Lehebim and Naphtuhim. I just earned my paycheck right there saying that name. <laughs> Naphtuhim and Pathrusim and Kasluhim. And the idiot who named him those names. <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> From which came the Philistines in Kaphtorim. Canaan became the father of Sidon, his firstborn in Heth, and the Jebusite, and the Amorite, and the Girgashite, and the Hivite, and the Archite, and the Sinite, and the Arvidite, and the Zemurite, and the Hemathite, and afterward the families of the Canaanite were spread abroad. The territory of the Canaanite extended from Sidon as you go toward Gerar as far as Gaza, as you go towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and Admah and Zeboim, as far as Lasha. 
These are the sons of Ham, according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands, by their nations. I need a break. Ham had four sons, Cush, Mezram, Put, and Canaan. Cush had five sons and two grandsons from Ramah named Sheba and Dedan. Seven names are associated in verses 13 and 14 are families, not individuals. Okay? Let me explain that. Anytime you see an M or an Ites, it refers to people groups, not to individual families. Now, Cush, I'll put this up here again, and again, this is supposed to be dark green. Ham goes this way. Okay? And of course, Ham had Canaan, and of course, Canaan is all these names here I just read, all the ites, okay? This was being read, what I'm reading to you now, was being read to the people of Israel, and where were they? And this was being read to them for the first time. You remember? At the edge of the Jordan, going to go in to conquer the promised land. And all these names right here, this is their land, and they're going to kick them out. Okay? Remember, they're going to exterminate, genocide. Going back to what sin, by the way? Drunkenness, which led to ridicule. All that. Okay? No murder or anything, but it leads to this. All right. Now, Cush is a Bible's name for Ethiopia. And so we conclude by the process of elimination that if the Japhethites went east, okay, and west, if they went east, okay, obviously, and west, north and west, and so on, Ham goes south, west. Cush is a Bible's name, by the way, for Ethiopia. Did you know that? Which makes sense. There was also Cush in Arabia. And Nimrod, the son of Cush, built his world empire in the Mesopotamian Valley, directly east of Israel, which is right here. Mesopotamian Valley, okay? East of Israel. All right? And that's known as the Fertile Crescent, the Tigris-Euphrates Valley. The sons of Cush went east because all those names can be identified with places in Arabia. Okay? Mizraim is in Egypt. Put is in Libya and North Africa, west of Egypt and Canaan. The fourth son was the ancestor of the various tribes that settled in the Promised Land. I went over all that. But I'd want to show you this. This is taken from the Carter Study Bible. You can see the names now. This is Iran. This is Iraq. This is Syria today. And Canaan and all the names. Okay? And that's where the Marines began with Gomer Pyle, right there. Okay? Now, this will be a little extra note uh, for you. What about the Oriental people? What about the Asians? It would be tempting to think that the Japhethites get to China or Japan or Indonesia or wherever in Asia. And we don't think that's the case. Most of the evidence connects the heritage of the Asian people to the descendants of Ham. Do we have any Asian background in them at all? Well, watch this. Um, some believe the Hittites who came out of Ham were the ones who populated China. And let me just read you a thought on this. They didn't, I didn't know this. found out this uh, week. The Hittites who came out of Ham were the ones who populated China. 
but they had an empire that endured for over a thousand years. They were still a power during the time of Solomon. Um, their indications, survivors of the Hittite Empire went into China, east of Turkey. Do I have another map here or not? No, I don't. Let me go back to this one to give you an idea. So here we go. We're starting right here. I can't even read this. Is this Turkey right here, roughly? Anyways, they make their way over this way, okay, as you can see. I can't make the map any bigger. But anyways... They went into China, east of Turkey, migrating on a route which Marco Polo took when he opened a new era of commerce many centuries later. And some say it's the Hittites who got the name Chitti, C-H-I-T-T-I, which brought to the east the name Cathay. Ever heard that before? C-A-T-H-A-Y. Who's heard it? I, I learned it this week. I may have heard it growing up, but I didn't register until I wrote this sermon. Anyone know what it stands for? C-A-T-H-A-Y, Cathay. If you look it up, okay, it's the historical name for China. There's a Cathay Airlines, okay? It's a name associated with the Orient. Now, the other possibility of the origin of the Asians is from the Sinites, at the end of verse 17, we read, we find Sinite. When we talk about American-Chinese relations, what do we call those? Sino-American relations. Why do we call them Sino-American relations? Well, the word sin is a common word in the Orient. You might recall there was a dynasty, the Sin-Kang dynasty. It's a word that means purebred. There is a study of China do you know what it's called? Sinology. The study of China, Sinology. And so it's possible that they came from Ham. Even the Chinese language, by the way, points to being descendants of Noah. Did you know that? Chinese letters are really what? Pictures, symbols, characters, right? So the Chinese word for ship, we would pronounce it or write out C-H-U-A-N, like Chuan. Something like that. But it looks like this. You saw this picture here. Right? It looks like this. It's made up of three components. You ready for this? I threw this in there just to give you guys something to really, probably what you remember about the whole sermon, by the way, other than the fact that I lived all over the map. Watch this. This symbol is the boat. I mean, boat, vessel, container ship. It's this right here. This is the symbol of an open mouth, right there. That'd be a symbol for my mother-in-law. She talks all the time, <laughs> just keeps going. <laughs> okay? But no, it's serious, but watch this. I say it in jest, but it depicts a person by a mouth that's open, because what distinguishes a person is what? The ability to communicate. That's one thing my mother-in-law does. She communicates very clearly, which I always appreciate. Then there's this right here. It means how many or small tables. Here are three symbols. Boat, people, and how many, or a number. Okay, now watch this. This is also the number for eight. Okay, and so what we're saying here, in Chinese, a ship is how eight people got into a container and survived. Am I good or what? 
I can research is all I can do. So they take their roots all the way back to the ark. And a side note, it makes perfect sense, this does too, that the number eight is the lucky number in Chinese culture. Why? Well, the word number eight, it's pronounced like B-A. Um, what's B with the A and then a, there's a, a line over the top of it? Ba. Anyways, and it sounds familiar to the word for fortune and wealth, which is F-A, F-A excuse me. <clears throat> but also, <coughs> excuse me. It's lucky that eight people were fortunate enough to survive a worldwide flood. So it's most likely that Asians came from either the Hittite strains of Ham or from their Sinite strains of Ham. And you're awake, and it's, I'm going to go over here. So that's a good sign. Want to continue? Okay, verses 8 to 12 uh, introduce, to, introduce us to the one child of Cush, named Nimrod, okay? Anyone know any Nimrods growing up? <laughs> of course, the term Nimrod, we would always say is what? A dummy? If you're a Nimrod, you're a dummy? Mm-hmm. Well, he was really powerful and important because this is the first time in the Bible, you might want to mark this down, that the word kingdom is used. In the beginning of his kingdom was Babylon. He's the world's first king. Even the Lord recognized his power, according to verse 9, because he's acknowledged. And we'll find out when we get to chapter 11, which is the next, would probably spend two weeks at least on chapter 11, that the word, world empire called Babel was idolatrous and in open rebellion against God. Nimrod was a killer of men, a mighty soldier. He was the great-grandson of Noah, a grandson of righteous Ham. He wielded deadly power. He ruled ruthlessly right in the middle of the Euphrates Valley. And no doubt he conquered all kinds of people, consolidated families and people groups into his great Babel, and his favorite ice cream was graters. This was the first real city of man in the new world that was built for man's glory. Of course, it's a preview of a later city called what? Babylon that would be built by the Antichrist at the end of human history. By the way, Nimrod's name, how aptly put in Hebrew, means what? Rebel. He rebels against God. Here is his kingdom. It was a massive kingdom, considering the population of the world at the time. That is a lot, okay? I know you probably can't even see this here, but this is the Mediterranean Sea, Israel, going all the way down here to the Persian Gulf, all the way up. Up here's the Black Sea. That was a massive kingdom at that time. Okay? I think if we go back here, yeah, you can see Babylon right here. So it'd have been, I mean, he went all the way down. Okay? That was a big kingdom for him. The plains of Shinar, there's Babylon. You get the idea. And right around here, by the way, you can't see it. I have it in one of the maps right here. Yeah, the Philistines. Of course, they play a significant part. They didn't get them or kick them out because who had to deal with the Philistines growing up? David. Remember that? David did. So this is his kingdom, just to give you an idea. The northernmost point of the Mesopotamian Valley at Nineveh, down to the Persian Gulf, southernmost point of Iraq, and all the area in between. And so now we've met the sons of 
Japheth and of Ham, and I'm going to close with the main one and the key one, which is Shem. Okay? And I'm going to earn my bonus pay by reading these names. Okay? Verse 21. Also to Shem, the father of all the children of Eber. It's not Eber. It's pronounced Eber, I learned. In the older brother of Japheth, children were born. The sons of Shem were Elam and Ashur and Arapskad. I butchered that one. Arpaxad, excuse me. And Lud and Aram. The sons of Aram were Uz and Hol and Gether and Mash. Arpaxad became the father of Shelah and Shelah became the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. The name of the one was Peleg. For in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's name was Joktan. Joktan became the father of Almadad, and Shelop, and Hazarmarveth, and Jerah. And whoever named their child Hazarmarveth, God have mercy on your soul. Can you imagine calling him out? Hazarmarveth, stop that! You get tired of saying that name over and over and over again, right? Call him Hazmat, I guess. I don't know. And Hadoram, and Uzal, and Dikla, and Obai, and Abimel, and Sheba, and Ophir. Of course, Ophir is associated, is associated with what? Remember? Gold. Remember the gold of Ophir? And Havilah, and Jobab. I like seeing Jobab. Come here, Jobab. Fetch me the paper, Jobab, as opposed to Hazar Marvath. And these were the sons of Joktan. Now their settlement extended from Mesha as you go toward Safar, the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem according to their families, according to their languages, by their lands, according to their nations. Now let's go back to this map here. Okay. Eber is translated Hebrew, just so you remember that. Okay, we have to see Eber, it's Hebrew. It is from Shem that the Semites come. Shem's descendants all settled in the Middle East, as you can see, this area right here. Okay, you can see all this. And one little place up here called Lud. Okay, Lud was the farthest north up by the Black Sea. Now Havilah, Ophir, Sheba, and several others were the farthest south, all the way down to the Gulf of Aden at the tip of the Red Sea when it goes into the Arabian Ocean. Just a couple of them are mentioned. Elam is mentioned in verse 22. Remember, he's the father of the Elamites. Remember in Genesis 14 from last week? There was a king in Edom called who? Ketelomir. He invaded Canaan so that the sons of Canaan served the what? The sons of Shem. And among the allies of Ketelomir was the title king of Goim, the coastland people from Japheth. So in the battle of Ketelomir, Canaan was subdued both by the sons of Japheth and the sons of Ham, just like what? Noah prophesied that the descendants of Canaan would be servants to Japheth's descendants and Shem's descendants. That's why it's a prophetic word that Noah was speaking. Okay? The Elamites lived east of Mesopotamia and mixed in with the Medes and made up the Persian Empire. You also notice Assur, who was the father of the Syrians, conquered by Nimrod. You have the name Arpaxdad. He's in the line of Abraham. Lud is the father of the Lydians. There you go, Lydia, in Asia Minor. Aram, the father of Aramaeans or Syrians, who play a major role in the rest of the Bible history. And by the way, it was the Aramaeans who developed what language? 
Aramaic. Okay? Which two books in the Bible are written in Aramaic? Daniel and Ezra. And then there was another descendant, the sons of Aram, Uz. That's an easy name to remember. Smart guy named their child, their son, Uz. Do you know who lived in Uz? You should. Job. Job. For the sake of time, only one more name. You'll, you'll appreciate this. All those other names I kind of alluded to, but there's one name in verse 25. It says, two sons were born to Eber. The name of the one was Peleg, for whom Peleg got his name. For in his days, the earth was divided. Now, what does that mean? Peleg means divided, by the way. Scholars speculate he was named for the judgment of God in Babel. Because in chapter 11, which we're going to look at next week, when the world was one big empire under Nimrod, I showed you his empire, God came down and judged and divided them into separate locations and separate languages, which is why you see they're divided by nations and languages at the time that this is written. So Nimrod was a contemporary of Eber, which means Babel was built with its tower in Eber's lifetime, also in the lifetime of Noah. We believe chapter 11 of Genesis happens 100 years, 100 years, folks, 100 years after they stepped off the ark. The people are that pagan already. And Eber named his son Peleg, which means division, because he saw what God did to Babel. So Ham settles the south to Africa into Asia. You can see all that, right? And up here, or Ham goes all the way down here. Japheth settles to the north, Europe, and into the northeast, Persia, India, and eventually the Americas. Shem stays in the Middle East. All in all, you have 26 families are listed from Shem, 30 from Ham, 14 from Japheth, totaling 70. And the Philistines, I said, are mentioned parenthetically to explain to the Jews who are hearing this read hundreds of years later. Now, why is this recorded in the Bible? Other than to trace the lineage of three men. And quite simply, as you study the entire book of Genesis, particularly, it's, it's, the book of Genesis is divided really into two sections. The first 11 chapters, then chapters 12 through the rest. Chapters 12 through the rest are about redemptive history. Chapters 1 through 11 are origins of it all. And what do we see as a reoccurring theme over and over again in these chapters? Starting in chapter 3. Sin and death. Sin in death, sin, and death. So God starts over again, and what do we start with again? More sin and the death of Noah, okay? So why? Well, these, this is recorded for us to realize and to see how fast and how far man falls. The reference to Nimrod, and we'll get into that a little bit more, and I already went over, by the way, last week, how wicked the Canaanites were, Right? But just look across the face of the earth today. Do I even have this up here or not? No, I didn't. Where is it? Just look across this map right here. 
We know where it all started here and where we're all, all around here. Okay? And, and by their traveling, by the way, after the flood, all this, and most of the world is what? It's water, but it's, it's what religion is dominating. What religions? Is it Christianity? Is it Judaism that leads to Christianity? No. What dominates down here, by the way? It's Catholicism. Okay, you have a mix all over the United States. So much as Africa, which is idolatrous and paganism, is sending missionaries to the United States. I don't even want to talk about Canada. Okay, and where that is. But you get the idea here. Godless. We've been in Russia. This area is godless. Confucianism, Taoism, Hinduism, all of these world religions, they all came from eight righteous people. That's their origins. That's our origins. And we are completely pagan almost. What it tells us is this happened. Did these people know God? A hundred years after they stepped off the ark, they're building the Tower of Babel. Okay? They knew of God. They didn't honor him as God. Noah was still alive. Okay? They became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. They knew the true God, abandoned that true knowledge, and developed all these idolatrous, rebellious religions that litter the face of the planet even to this day. Adultery started again very early in Babel in the post-flood world, and it's still going on. It will ultimately meet its end in the final Babylon. And what is God's response to this? Because it's going to get worse as it gets to Genesis chapter 11, and all the sin in the Tower of Babel. But what does God do next? And I want you to remember this. It's Genesis 12. And what's Genesis 12 begin with? With who? Abraham. And that is the beginning of hope to a people that don't deserve hope. And by the way, if it rains next few days, and you happen to see a rainbow, remember what my wife reminded me of. The rainbow was not for you. We were taught that, weren't we? It's not for you. What does the text say? It's for God. He remembers his covenant. The promise he made to himself is the only reason why we are here, because he would start over again. And he will start over again, this time completely, with a fire. He's on no more I'm going to come down, and it'll be my way or the highway. And there is no highway. It's his way only. Okay. But he wiped out the first world because of their corruption with the worldwide flood. And the second world reveals that nothing has changed. Man's corruption is still polluting God's creation. The only difference is that God made a promise to himself that he would not destroy the world again by water. Instead, at the end, he will destroy the world by a fire. But until then, in the time that we've lived in, since that promise to Noah is the age of grace. God overlooks our ignorance. He offers us salvation. And that reveals the heart of God. If you study Genesis, Genesis 12 is, is a, a beacon of hope in a very dark world. Because he promises from Abraham will come a blessed people, which goes back to who? 
Shem. Okay? Shem. God offers us salvation, and it's exactly what he does through Shem, through Abraham, then the Israelites or the Hebrews. And just so you're just a reminder to you and to me as well, he created the nation of Israel, the Hebrews. They were always to be a missionary nation. If it started here, let me go back. If it started here, okay, which it did, did you know that, by the way, Israel was uniquely positioned as trade routes would always come in from here, and it all would go through Israel because it all began there. And they were to be a missionary nation, a different people, which is why he gave them all those, those rules and laws and commandments, to be different, to point to God. He gave them what? Israel gave what? Covenants, promises, adoption, the law, scriptures, ministry, eventually the Messiah, the conqueror and destroyer of Satan and the savior of the world. So even this genealogy, it ends with Shem, who it should have began with Shem because he was the oldest. It ends with Shem because it is a reminder of us that there is still hope. Did you ever think you would learn so much trying to say people's names who never should have been named those names, by the way, in Genesis chapter 10 in that genealogy, okay? I need a break. Those names are brutal. So, there's hope for corrupt mankind, and we'll talk about, unfortunately, that corruption next week, next couple weeks, really. So, what I want you to do is this. Take some time to think about Acts 17, 26. You are here for a reason, to offer hope to a lost and dying world. 